Welcome to Two Guys, One Book, where two friends tackle their reading list one book at a time. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Two Guys, One Book. We are two guys. I'm Brian, and I'm with... Tim. Tim, of course. And the book... So we got the two guys. Now the one book is Everybody Lies, Fake Data, New Data, and What the Internet Can Tell Us About Who We Really Are by Seth Stevens Davidowitz. A Brian so, pick. It is a Brian pick. I think I think this was I was I was looking forward to reading this one. I do not remember how I heard about this book. Probably I, on an NPR podcast. I don't know. I think this was just one of those that I stumble upon in Amazon. You know, when you buy, you know, you you click on one book and then you read about that book and then it says readers who bought this book also like your these, you know. But I think it was an Amazon algorithm, but I did not buy it on Amazon. I bought it used from Half Price Books. Oh, so, and you're, you're not lying, Brian, because, you know, everybody lies. <laughs> I am not lying. I, 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 I thought this would be a good book to appeal to both of us because everybody lies. It has a negative outlook on humanity, which is kind of a Brian theme. And it has uh, stuff about data analysis, which is up Tim's alley, right? Yeah, I did enjoy the data science side of things overall, but I do good. have the critiques that I'm sure we'll get into. I'm As sure. Always. <laughs> I'm a critical... Yes. Critical man, I've, found, I've come to find. <laughs> Usually just with yearbooks. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? You're never, this, you're never this critical with your own picks, huh? <laughs> well, you I picked them, you know? Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, how was, how was, how was innovation working out for you lately, Tim? <laughs> hey, it was kind of cool. All right, <laughs> so let me ask you, so why did you pick this? I know, like, you're not sure if you remember exactly where you found out about it, but, like, Dive a little deeper. What what stood out to you about this work? Well, I I I enjoyed the aspect of analyzing Google searches because as the author says that like, you know, people lie to their neighbors, their friends, their family, their priests, but when you when sitting alone at a computer typing into Google, people have no reservations about hiding what they type into Google from Google. Like they, they will type in anything and having that data available. Now it doesn't show like the data is correct me if I misspeak here, Tim, but the data he's talking about is purely the frequency of searches spread out over geography and time, right? It doesn't, Mm -hmm. it doesn't pinpoint who is specifically searching what items. It's anonymous, but I'm sure Google has, you know, things oh. associated with profiles. Yeah. Yeah. Google has the data. I'm not I'm not disputing whether or not Google keeps tabs on that. I'm sure it does. But what they have available for data scientists to comb through is not user specific. Correct. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Which I think is is good because, like, there is still a level of privacy there, which needs to be there. Yeah. And anyone can go to like, I think it's trends.google.com and search for, you know, the patterns of different search results. And it's pretty interesting. Okay. Have you done that before? Yeah, here and there. Like if there's a meme that suddenly got popular, you can just see the big spike in the last month or so and things like that. It's kind of cool. (laughs) You look up the memes that are popular. I mean, uh, just an example. 
Um, I think they've used it to like, you know, see if a flu is coming because people are searching like cold symptoms, stuff like that. Um, you know, you can see healthcare uses like that. Right. And then that's why I picked the book is because I liked that aspect of analyzing that data because, mm-hmm. you know, I, yeah, everybody does lie, but you know, there's reasons behind it and people want to keep things from one another, but, um, but Google, they have nothing to keep from Google. Yeah. I think to that point, like so many surveys are flawed because people want to come off as like, you know, their best self and, you know, it's just hard to like make sure someone's being completely honest in those. Right. 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 Which is human nature. I think, you know, it's not like, oh, you know, we shouldn't do surveys because, you know, people, they're always going to be skewed. I mean, no, I don't think that's the case that, you know, it's just, it's just recognizing that that is a part of human nature and just something we'll have to deal with. Yeah. I guess one argument about the Google thing, though, is like it's selecting for people who have computers, have internet, use Google. <laughs> uh, you know, there's, it does, I mean, I know that's like a large chunk of the population, but still it has already kind of somewhat narrowed the scope of the population. True. You are correct. And I, but I think that will only, improve over time right the number of people who use computers or use smartphones to search for google stuff is only going to increase over time yeah i don't know i guess i'm not i haven't been following that closely but like uh market share for like uh or like popularity of search engines has evolved a lot over time and you might think like something like DuckDuckGo is gaining a lot of popularity because they focus on privacy for example um so Uh, huh interesting do you use DuckDuckGo? i mean i have i think i usually use google just for the convenience of like you know finding links that i'm have clicked on in the past or something and and that kind of thing um but you know for people who want to really maintain their privacy something like that is probably better suited for them gotcha yeah Hmm. okay so first impressions of the book then what what do you think overall brian I liked it overall. I mean, the author wanted to show various examples of how big data works. So he ha- he showed he you know he explains these different examples of when when data was used for horse racing or or porn searches or any kind of other stuff. But like it, did, I, I felt like there was too many different examples that I read one. I was like, huh, that's interesting, and I moved on to the next one. And at the end of the book, after I was leafing through it again, after I finished it, I'm like, oh, there was some stuff in there I forgot because it was just a little anecdote, if that makes sense. Yeah, there are lots of little anecdotes. Um, right. You know, some I hadn't heard before, some I've heard in a bunch of other books that use the same ones, like Jon oh, yeah? Snow and the cholera map or something. You know, like, I feel like I hear that pop up in a lot of modern nonfiction. Um, right. But, okay, I, is he making a meta point here when he says everybody lies? Because I feel like he really lied about the premise of the book and what he focused on throughout. <laughs> <laughs> how, so, do you, how do you think he lied? Okay, I'll, I'll go into it. So, the, you know, the title is Everybody Lies, subtitle, Big Data, New Data, and what the Internet really reveals, or what the Internet reveals about who we really are. And then it, it's in five parts, right? So, uh, data big and small, powers of big data, uh, big data handled with care, and um, is it just three parts? 
I think this is the three parts. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, part two has like five sections. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. anyway, my point is in part two, uh, digital truth serum. I feel like this is the only portion that really connects to the premise of the book, and where he talks about how like you know, what people talk about day to day and say in surveys uh, does not correlate to how they actually behave like on the internet. And it's like, if you're going to make this the premise of the book, then why is it just this one little, you know, section, chapter uh, section? I felt like that was a little misleading. Right. I mean, I I will agree with your sentiment sentiment there, but I'd also say like, I mean, what would you call this book, Tim? I mean, you're putting me on the spot. I'm not going to... I mean, all right, so give you a minute to think about it. But I guess my point is, it's a catchy title. It actually got me, like, that's one thing that got me to click on it, you know? If it sells, you know, why not use that as the title? Because, like, that is a big part. The Digital Truth Serum is, like, in the heart of the book. That is the section where he talks about sex, hate and prejudice, the internet, child abuse, your Facebook friends your customers, and can we handle the truth? So he goes, in each of those subsections, he talks about how we lie in all those instances uh, and then what Google Trends uh, can teach us about, you know, sex and hate and the internet and child abuse and so on. Yeah. So I, I felt like this was, this was like his primary thing about like, you know, using Google data, we can determine that, like, you know, people are not having nearly as much sex as they say they are in surveys. He went into these details of how surveys and national data from governmental organizations tell us one thing, and Google searches might tell us something slightly different, might be able to fill in the cracks, so to speak. Yeah. And what I'm saying is like, I think that part, that chapter is like the core of the book. But I think based on like the title, it should have been expanded upon and been the main focus. I feel like he's a little scattered. He jumps around from talking about like sports and how him and his brother like baseball and (laughs) uh, horse racing, as you said. And I feel like it just kind of jumps around a lot, but doesn't dive super deep into a particular area. Yes, I agree with that as well because and i feel like that's one thing that holds the book back but i feel like he was trying to show all the different things that this data can do and the different the, how people how different people use it differently or how how you know like that horse racing thing i think was an excellent example of showing how this one trainer i think like analyzed the actual anatomy of horses Mm-hmm. Down, down to the sizes of the internal organs to determine like if there's any pattern that he could see that could be a predicting factor for how good a horse will perform and it came down to like the size of the left ventricle of the horse's heart was a, a huge a key factor in determining whether that horse would be a good racehorse mm-hmm. and, and that's that i think is a very good story but I feel like maybe he could have trimmed some of the other ones because, like, there were other ones that I don't even remember anymore. But mm-hmm. trim the fat just a little bit and streamline it more. Right. But I guess it's already a short book, though, Tim. Three hundred some pages short. Oh come on! It is like two eighty, two eighty five. Oh, uh, I was like counting it like in the counting index. the notes. <laughs> no. Yeah, notes and index now. 
I like. And even then, it's a fast read. There's some charts in here and stuff too. So, come on. Yeah. Did you, you, know. did you read this or listen to this one? I listened to it. Yeah. So I had. Yeah. There's a lot of C Appendix A chart. <laughs> yeah. No, I yeah. mean it's interesting. Like data science is, you know, a big field, and I feel like yeah. for people into like Nate Silver and stuff who can analyze everything from sports to politics to uh, economics, like you know, it touches every industry. So I think it's a valuable like skill, and he's maybe trying to get people interested in all these various topics, right? So I think, you know, or by by bringing up topics that appeal to different subsets of people, then by tying it together with data science, I guess, is maybe what he's going for, right? Did you follow? I mean, like, you probably enjoyed the when he talked about the data science aspect of things, right? Yeah, generally. I think a lot of it, though, is hard because you think about uh, correlations that aren't necessarily, uh, that look, things that look like they're correlations but aren't actually, you know? And he mentioned that, too, a few times, but... I don't know, just as with anything, just because there's a pattern doesn't mean it's necessarily like statistically significant. Um, I think people get fooled a lot into thinking like uh, red cars get speeding tickets, so all red cars go fast or something. I don't know. That's just a dumb example. But like, you know, uh, it's it's just things are a little more like nuanced than that. And it's easy to jump to conclusions, I think, based on um, those premises. Right. Yeah. No, I, did, mean, I agree. What did you that. think about the data science stuff? Well, I mean, I guess like it was that last the last section, part three, big data handle with care. And I think this I think this was a very good, good um, attempt by the author to to kind of show how where big data can fail or be careful, you know, like where big data is not a panacea where it's going to solve every problem. Big data is good for looking at a lot of problems, but there are instances where um big data isn't going to work and he went into details of like dimensionality and i didn't quite follow all that i mean i don't know i mean i i appreciated it being in there because it's the author's attempt to to you know he he wasn't going to just offer like this big data the big data is what we need to solve the world's problems and and then you know wake you know walk away and, and you say case closed you know he 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 put in this last section as an attempt to um, thoroughly explain what pitfalls there are for big data. But so I so I appreciated that section, but it still wasn't quite. I don't know. It fell short a bit. You think? Yeah. Well, just just for the layman like me, like I didn't. I mean, he did good. He tried to explain it, but um, yeah. Yeah, I can appreciate what he was trying to do just in terms of adding all those caveats. Um, like generally just saying how there's dark sides to have too much of an over-reliance on data and you can miss stuff like anecdotal stuff can be significant sometimes. And even with horse racing, he talked about there was someone who just would like eyeball horses and look for like little scars or the way they walked and some things that aren't, you know, easily automated or gathered with data at this point. I don't know. So, yeah, it's... Uh, He's he's basically saying how this science is very powerful, but also we can't um, over rely on it. And and like the examples about like denying people loans potentially based on like their social media posts. That's kind of an interesting, I guess, like dystopian 
uh, future into things. And maybe it's happening like to some extent already is, you know, I think insurance companies using your online presence to, you know, base your loan uh, likelihood of repaying your loan back, right? Paying your loan back or your insurance premiums for health insurance and life insurance and that kind of thing. That could really, mm-hmm. man, that could really go deep. Yeah. I mean, and that's, he does, address, he does say that that's, you know, one thing about, uh, Big data in the hands of the government or corporations cannot all can sometimes lead to nefarious. Just just post lots of Facebook statuses like I'm driving my car super slow right now. <laughs> my seatbelt on. Photos yeah. of you with your seatbelt on. Yeah, another deposit in my, into my retirement account. <laughs> Love being responsible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's have a fake account when you have fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. No, nah, we're yeah. not very wild people anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I did appreciate like little some an- so one anecdote I liked was um how he talked about um the the water usage in the city of Edmonton during the when uh Gold Cup game or not in the gold medal game in the Olympics for the ice hockey. So mm-hmm. the, the Canadian national team was in the gold medal match uh, in the Olympics and the Edmonton water department could track their water usage and they overlaid it with the, the hours that the match was, the hockey game was going on and the water usage spiked every intermission. <laughs> like the water was really the water usage was really low during the during the first period, but then the first intermission came and the water usage spiked tremendously and then flattened out way low during the second period and then the second intermission it spiked again yeah. and, and it got really low for the third period and then spiked after the game. <laughs> I thought that was yeah. an interesting use of There's data. a pattern there. Yeah. 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 Also, did you have, like did you have any other, oh go ahead. Oh no, I was gonna say one like um when he was talking about movies too, like if there's like a violent movie happening, then people predict like people are going to be more violent, but actually it's like, well, no, because you get all these, you know, young men together, uh, you know, watching a film that's popular versus being out and about and like causing trouble or something. So, but yeah, there's so many variables to account for and it's hard to just, I think it's too easy to jump to conclusions, which I think, I mean, I haven't read like Freakonomics, but he said it was inspired by that book. And I think a lot of like those modern authors just look for a juicy correlation and want to make a book out of it. Um, so I do appreciate that he, you know, makes a point to not make too many assumptions. I do feel like at times the book meandered from its general thesis, but um, I thought it was well done. I liked his anecdotes about his family and his brother and the baseball, even if you didn't like those, I'd enjoyed those. Uh, but, um, yeah, it just, it ultimately, you know, eventually got back to his main point, <laughs> even if it was a little circuitous. <laughs> yeah. See, maybe this is a personal thing, but I feel like when an author inserts themselves into their nonfiction books, it feels a little like <laughs> self-serving or just, I don't know, like dis- distracting. But I understand, like for you and other people, they kind of appreciate the personal touch. I I kind of felt like, you know, I never, I haven't heard of this guy before, mm-hmm. and I, as far as I'm, I don't think he's written anything else since. And this was published in what eighteen or so. So like, 
I'm wondering if like, you know, this guy's just a data scientist and he just he just wanted the he just wanted to share this 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 with the world. This <laughs> And I'm hating on him. <laughs> just totally dumping all over. <laughs> no, no, I like elements no, of it. I know. He's I not going to ever know this <laughs> discussion existed. I, I know, and he's not. But, but like, I feel like for somebody that wants to write a book, maybe the personal anecdotes were needed for him to add a personal touch and to actually get pages too, because like you know he's. Maybe the editor or somebody he maybe he, when he initially wrote it, it was like 180 pages, and they're like, we're not gonna publish a 180 page book, you know, you gotta fill it in with stuff. So he's like, oh shoot, now what do I add? You know? Yeah, I did I mean, look him. Oh, go ahead. Well, I I just I do wonder sometimes about like the whole getting a book published process and everything, because like you know we all have different fantasies about well what, oh you know like I could write a book you know. That kind of thing when like I don't really think I could, but I I like to think that I could, and just wondering how that whole process works. Well, if, you know, self-publishing has probably never been easier. If you just want to throw something on the Kindle store or something, get a early. If it's good enough, I feel like cream will rise to the top. You know, the expression oh, goes. So. I mean, maybe there's a bunch of amazing like unread Kindle books, but I don't think so. <laughs> I see. So you think if you just put it out there. If you just put it out in the universe, then naturally people will find it if it's good enough. Kind of like posting a bot, a podcast with your best friend. <laughs> That's. Are you assuming I think this is good though? <laughs> <laughs> the whole another animal. Yeah, 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 yeah. If, if you want to <laughs> be famous, we'd make TikToks, right? It's not the right. We yeah. we. We are just a step behind in the medium we chose, huh? Podcasts have kind of reached critical mass where TikToks are the up and coming thing. Yeah, well, it's all about like attention spans and, you know, mm-hmm. there's a million streaming services and then you've got like YouTube, TikToks, podcasts, TV show, movies. It's just, you know, there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. Yeah. That's why you need data science to, uh, you know, <laughs> find the patterns and simplify Yeah. Great segue. But no, I mean, this guy, I looked at his LinkedIn. Oh, yeah? I was curious. He he worked for a year, uh, about a year or two at Google as a data scientist. So I think that's legit. Um, You know, Harvard, PhD, Stanford, and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, I don't want to deny that he's smart and knows his stuff. But it's tough to be like a data science person and a great writer and do everything, right? Like, none of us can do everything, really. Maybe he's a team up with like you know uh, Michael Lewis or whatever, and they they can both, do, <laughs> you know, he he can craft a narrative. Yeah, yeah. Although, yeah, I do like I I I actually never have read a Michael Lewis book, but I listened to an interview and it, he sounds like a very fascinating guy. Where he 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 doesn't write a book until he really finds good characters. He mm-hmm. likes to find people that he can, real people that he can write about, and then he just like finds. to anchor the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The characters anchor the story. Yeah, like that's Billy cool. Bean and Moneyball. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, that's maybe we should read a Michael Lewis book sometime. Yeah, he's got quite a few. I think that would be good. Yeah, 
But anyway, <laughs> we're, we're digressing here. I know, I know. Yeah, so... What else did you want to talk about in terms of this book? Well, I did enjoy going back to baseball. You know, he said that, like, children who are 8, eight to 12 years old are, if they, when they are finding a team to root for, if their home team happens to be winning or if they pick a team that is winning when they are 8 to 12 years old, like, they are more inclined to follow that team for the rest of their life, really, which I, th- I thought that was an interesting point because when I was 8 to 10 years old, that's when, or 8 to 12 years old, that's when the Cleveland Indians were doing really good in the mid-90s. So, I mean, they were my hometown team, so I was already rooting for them, but then they did even better. And they made the World Series a couple of times, but they didn't win, but still makes me root for them still to this day. Yeah, that section was pretty interesting because it's like when you think about it, you're pretty impressionable during those years, like eight to 12 or whatever. And if everyone in the city and your family is super excited about the sports team, that that's going to leave an impression on you, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Also, the basketball chapter was kind of interesting about how, like, you know, it's really people with like a strong uh, middle class uh, foundation and like, good family, stable family life that really have the support to kind of be successful with that. Because there was a guy that he talked about from Washington, I think Seattle, who was super talented, like could have been the next Michael Jordan, but just always got into these like off the court issues and just didn't have the the right support to kind of, um, you know, thrive. Right. And I thought that was interesting, too, because I think a lot of people assume incorrectly that like basketball can be a way for young athletes in poor area or the ghetto and you know there's always the the stereotype of being black athletes of trying to make their way out of out of the ghetto or something through basketball when the data actually shows that a lot of the black athletes in the nba come from middle class you know stable families that are that, that can support the growth of uh, a talent and give that young developing teenager, you know, the, the steady, stable life they need to make a career out of it. Right. Yeah. I think that's a good example for how we like might have all these assumptions and then have the data like prove it wrong, like pretty, pretty substantially. I would say the most common themes he talked about in the book were sex and race, right? Uh, you know, I don't know most common, but I'd say, yeah, a fair amount of those anecdotes were sprinkled throughout. Right. How, yeah, people are not having as much sex as they say they are, how more people are, like, he, he talked about the weird things people search for on Pornhub, uh, because he got Pornhub's data as well, uh, which I found curious, but not, like, super, I don't know, I mean, like, I think that's all well and good that porn is available and people watch it and that's okay. But, you know, I, I, I think, I think that was to illustrate exactly his point that people will not be willing to admit to other people what they will admit to the internet. Right. Yeah. That is interesting. Yeah. You know, as long as everyone's having fun. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I 
I wonder if there's a statistical relationship between porn availability and uh, like violence or, um, you know, what, if lack of porn availability will lead more people to violence. <laughs> Maybe like you know, they're, more... not, they're, they're they're sexually frustrated. They can't get um, their desires fulfilled by watching porn, so they uh, resort to violence because they're so they get pent up with all this rape. Yes frustration i guess yeah rage they're repressed yeah. you know i think there's that's a theory worth testing i mean of so, course there's oh god well i'm just taking this completely off the rails yeah give wide high-speed internet to all of Af- afghanistan give everybody <laughs> over there just let them go crazy right <laughs> taliban will be so distracted they won't even have time to 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 you know to head anybody <laughs> jesus yeah i mean make <laughs> light of dark you know circumstances but i do wonder like with like yeah isis and stuff if you just gave like fiber internet and free porn that they might be less like i don't know yeah have all this aggression oh man but, where are we going with this but thing? no yeah. i mean Anyway, the the general takeaway from the book is, like, there's a lot of interesting tests you could do on theories like that, thanks to big data. And with Google, you've got these large, anonymized data sources, and you can start to kind of find patterns, find trends, make correlations. So it's still the tip of the iceberg. I mean, this is all pretty early days, I think, which is interesting. Yeah, and that's what he says, too, is that the, the, the future is bright for this kind of analysis going forward, that he feels like they've only scratched the surface, which is, which is nice. So you, you could write your next, the next book on big data, Tim. I probably won't. (laughs) (laughs) As long as you have a lot of personal anecdotes in there. I think the data will say people don't care enough about books to make it worth it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think one, one, I think you're right that, 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 that he really wanted to hit home that there's a lot of, uh, data available where we can study the correlation of different events and and uh, to e- each other. And one thing I found interesting, he talks a lot about race as well in the book. And in, at least in the first parts, he talks about Barack Obama and Donald Trump. And one stat that I found fascinating was that there is a white supremacist uh, website called Stormfront. And the single biggest the single day that they've had the most new users or activity was the day after president obama won election in 2008 which i was blown away by that stat i mean he and then he also has other data that shows how racist jokes went up uh after with barack obama being president and other instances where the underlying racial um, discrimination we have in America still to this day is shown in uh, internet data and that mm. Barack Obama being president kind of fanned the flames of that race, racial discrimination and that Donald Trump, when he like kind of was uh, uh, a symptom of that disease, not so much that Donald Trump brought out the white supremacists and white nationalists in the, the country. He was 
just kind of seen as the figure where these white supremacists can channel their energy towards. Right. It's like he made it okay for them to come more out into the public. Right. Right. After these white supremacists in America felt um, threatened by President Obama. Yeah, it's honestly pretty scary to look at all that data of what people are searching and just think like, you know, how can how is this much ignorance like widespread? And then how many people act a certain way, but then, you know, like have all these like hateful or like uh, awful searches. But I mean, when he talked about like the amount of people who voted for um, Obama versus Kerry or something, I don't know. I feel like it's hard to attribute all of that just a race when there's so many variables in an, in an election too. Right. Yeah. But I felt like, I felt like he kind of explained that. I think he kind of did some hand waving like, well, like, you know, he, he, I think he said he tried to adjust for other mitigating factors, but he thought that they were closely related, closely aligned in ideologically that, I don't know. He, I felt like he tried to account for that in some regard, but yeah, but right, it's, it's not going to be a complete one-to-one uh, relationship, you know? Yeah, there's just so many factors. Like, it was, it was, it was interesting. Yeah, it was good. I mean, not. The, I mean, like, we ready to do rating time? Because I feel like. I think so. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm gonna oh, wait, give it. Bef- wait, did you ahead. say a number? Okay. Uh, wait. Be- before we end it, uh, I just want to ask, have you seen the movie uh, Minority Report? Heck yes, I've seen it. I okay. love Minority Report. I think that is one of the, uh, Tom Cruise and Steven Spielberg's most underrated movie. It is an excellent movie, and it's crazy it came out. Do you know what year it came out in? Oh, gosh. 2000? 2002. 2002, okay. So I feel like, I mean, it's been a while since I've seen it, but I feel like it's held up pretty well as far mm-hmm. as, like, the technology and the premise. Um, but, yeah, I brought it up because he mentioned it in the book and, like, you know, uh, are we going to get to a point when AI can predict if someone's going to commit a crime? Like, Google sees you searching for these violent crimes and will it act on it, you know? It's kind of yeah. interesting to think about. Yeah, it is interesting. He does He does bring up an example where... An ex-boyfriend was Googling very specific things about murder and doing a hiding a dead body or something like that. And then he reached out to his ex-girlfriend and then she agreed to meet up with him or something. And then she unfortunately was killed. So he's that that's probably a prime example of how Google data can try to predict people's actions but it's not going to be you know like that's just i don't think it's you know he talks about like maybe potentially in the minority report in the future but that'd be a long way off still yeah that's the scary thing it's like you don't want to justify mass surveillance and spying but also are there ways to kind of like if there's a rise in searches related to like hate crimes to like add extra security to like events to protect people you know like Kind of like broader things like that rather than specifically like actually spying on people, you know? Right. Right. Yes. Try to set up security or other measures in place to help mitigate or respond to uh, events rather than try to premeditate and stop them. Like you can't 
detain somebody because you think they were going to do something. Right. But you can, like you said, increase security for certain events or at certain places if you think they're in a heightened state of risk. Yeah. And we should totally have that holographic ability by now in Minority Report when he's like moving <laughs> yes. screens around. Like, how that is that not a thing yet? Yeah. I completely agree. It looks so cool. I think it, <laughs> it definitely it definitely holds up very well. So okay, I think. Okay. Oh, All right. Rating time. Yeah. Or what were you gonna say? Well, I think I think ultimately what we get out of this is, unfortunately. You don't have to read the book. Just go see Minority Report instead. <laughs> yeah. In summation, you're yeah. better off just watching a Tom Cruise movie. <laughs> Correct. Not just any Tom Cruise movie. Minority Report. Well, Come actually. On. I'm yeah. just kidding. No. <laughs> He's not even in that, I think. I don't know. All right. My <laughs> rating is going to be a three. I, I like this book. I think the content is important to try to understand the you know, the interconnected world we live in today with Google and the internet, but the author, I, you know, is a data scientist and he does a good job of presenting the data and, and all the anecdotes that go with it. But, you know, it just is like, okay, it's an average book. I'll give it a three. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. And you know what? I'm going to agree with you on this one. A three as well. Yep. I'm going to say, you know, uh, interesting subject matter. I feel like it was just a bit misleading with the title and what he chose to focus on and probably just in general could have been more focused and, uh, you know, dive deeper into certain areas. Um, but, you know, interesting for people interested in data science. So, yeah. Yeah. Yep. But what's well, next? All right, so, well, um, next, what's next? I don't know, Tim, you're, you're, it's your book that's next. Crying in H Mark. Yeah, a memoir um, about food, grief, and endurance. So it should be a happy one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, I'm looking forward to read that one. It's a memoir, which we haven't read yet. I don't think we've ever read any memoirs. Yeah, I don't think we've done that genre, so it should be good. Yeah. But yeah, all right. So what would you give Minority Report on a scale of one to five? It's been so long since I've seen it, but I think since it's held up this well, probably five. I kind of yeah, that's what I would do. I would give it a five. I think it is so good. Yeah, I gotta watch it again. Yeah. All right. So yes, go see Minority Report. Uh, uh, go read Crying in H Mart. That's gonna be our next book. Uh, go to our website twoguyswinbook.com where you can tell us. Uh, you can comment on Everybody Lies. If you like the book much better than us, then we'll go comment on it. Tell us what you loved about it, or you can comment about Minority Report. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah Okay, yeah. So you can comment basically anything. So anything you want. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Until next time. Keep reading. Keep reading.